0: At the end of the day, the most realistic thing that Succession portrays of the 1% or the uber wealthy is that they certainly feel like they are above it all.
1: Welcome to Cringe Watchers, a podcast where we invite our expert friends to binge watch TV and talk about sex.
0: This episode, we watched Succession and asked Soraya Daraby, what's up with the sex lives of the super rich? Lori, are you binging or cringing?
1: I'm cringing this week, Layla, and it probably will not surprise you to know that I'm cringing at travel bans to several African countries, simply because South Africa was smart enough to detect the new variant of coronavirus. And this ties to our theme of today because we're talking about the lives of the super rich, and this cringe has everything to do with the hubris and idiocy of super rich nations. So, the new variant was already circulating in the Netherlands, in the US, way before it was identified in South Africa, but these travel bans to South Africa and several other Southern African nations are still in place. So we need to not only rescind them, but we actually should be thanking the South African scientists who identified this new strain. And they actually did so by drawing on their expertise that's been honed and developed over decades because of their leadership and dedication to the fight against HIV. So we need to stop the stigma. Um, The Botswanan president said it best, in my opinion, he said it's inhumane, it's demeaning, and it's degrading. While we're at at it. We need to rescind the travel bans and also vaccine equity, please. Yes, please. Layla, are you cringing or binging this week?
0: I am binging and I am sorry to follow up such a serious cringe with uh, something extremely frivolous. But uh, if you need a break from reality, I have been really devouring the podcast Once Upon a Time at Bennington College, which is a 14-part look. Uh, I'm going to listen to the finale this week by the reporter Lily Analik about all of the literary people who happened to go to Bennington College together uh, in the 80s. And that includes Brett Easton Ellis uh, of Less Than Zero and American Psycho Literary Brat Pack fame, Donna Tart, who wrote The Secret History and The Goldfinch, which I know a lot of people read, and Jonathan Lethem, who wrote Motherless Brooklyn and is less in it and honestly comes off as way more down to earth than the other two. But if you, like me, read all three of those books but were obsessed with The Secret History and just the idea of uber wealthy people going to uh, New England liberal arts colleges together. It's it's a really interesting deep dive. And I think it's related to today's themes because a lot of those novels and the podcast are about the less than uber wealthy, wireistically peering into the lives of the uber wealthy, and in some ways, uh, romanticizing them in their not so fictional fiction.
1: Wow. Uh, Thank you for that. And I love to see also Gen X getting a little love and attention. So that is rad. And you're exactly right. We got into voyeurism towards the super rich for today's episode. We focused on season three, episode five of Succession. The episode is called Retired Janitors of Idaho. And it's that episode with the big shareholders meeting, where essentially the whole Crew, minus Kendall, tries to save daddy's business.
0: Yes, and it is uh, a pairing of uh, the children of wealthy people because in addition to following the Roys, we're following Sandy and his daughter Sandy and their co-conspirator Stewie, who are trying to take control of Waystar Royco and uh, persuade shareholders to vote against the Roy family.
1: Obviously, this is not a business podcast. (laughs) And frankly, I would be a terrible business podcast host. But there are a ton of relevant topics that do pop up in this episode for Cringe Watchers listeners. These include Kendall's faux feminism, a surprising UTI, and an attempt at reproductive coercion, which is a term that's used to describe a partner's abuse of power relating to reproductive health issues, such as trying to impregnate someone against their will.
0: It also includes some Cringe Watcher adjacent topics like women in positions of power, because in this episode, ultimately, it's Shiv who steps up and does some backroom deals and back channeling to keep control of the family business and feels like she's won the day, but then 10 seconds later is really knocked down a peg by her father.
1: That's right. And, you know, this is just one of the examples of why I sometimes struggle to enjoy this show, mostly because I struggle overall with my relationship to unbridled capitalism. And I mostly enjoy the commentary surrounding this show. Shout out to Twitter. And I'm also here for the brilliant dialogue. So you'll hear us kind of get into some of our tensions with watching this show as well.
0: Yeah. And I mean, not on this show, uh, not on this episode of the show that we're discussing, but I do want to shout out uh, the show within a show, The Disruption, in which Z-Way brilliantly plays a late night host of a satirical news show that kind of knocks down Kendall, the son of the heir to this over wealthy family, uh, and humiliates him for in part for his faux feminism, and also coins the amazing nickname "Edipussy."
1: <laughs> That's right. So as you can tell, we had to have a very nuanced conversation. We needed someone who could handle both the highfalutin elements of this discussion, um, and as well as someone who could bring a lot of complexity, nuance, and wit. And so we had to find the perfect person, and I think we did just that. Her name is Soraya Darby, and she happens to be Layla's sister. (laughs) She is also a successful business executive who has focused on supporting women and other marginalized groups in business and a podcasting superstar.
0: That is right. And I think that my sister would describe herself in our family as the black sheep because she, we come from academic and, and activisty roots and she has pursued a career in business. But one of the many reasons I've always been incredibly proud of her is that she she is a true feminist and has always lived her values in her business. She is the general partner and founder of TMV, which is a venture firm that invests in early stage startups that all fall under Uh, the category of purposeful startups that are are trying to make the world a better place. And she is also, maybe more importantly, the founder of a virtual networking group called Transact Global, which is making space for women, non-binary, and BIPOC founders who don't have a seat at the table of mostly older white men with all the money controlling business and creating a space for them to share and pool advice, experience, and wisdom. And it's an incredible initiative that I think more people should know about. Uh, last but not least, she has her own podcast. She has done a couple of seasons of a show called Business Schooled, which if you're interested in startups, is really interesting. In the first season, she interviews uh, people about very interesting startups and how they got them off the ground. And I think actually the second season is even more interesting because she went around the country uh, pre-COVID and interviewed people uh, working on startups that have made it past the early stage round about what it actually takes to to build a successful business. So incredibly qualified guests to talk about uh, a company like Waystar Royco and all of the nefarious characters uh, on the show Succession. One disclaimer for the group, we've been told our whole lives, Soraya and I, that we have very similar voices. And so I apologize if it's hard to tell us apart, but let's get into it. Welcome to Cringe Watchers, Raya, one of our earliest and uh, most dedicated supporters. Thank you for taking it up a notch and being an actual guest. I feel like there there have been um, 30 plus years of uh, binge watching television with you, Layla, that helped prep for today. So I might be your most prepped guest. You've put in the work. Just to jump right into the show. This is a podcast about sex on TV, but there is not a lot of sex on the show Succession. And so I think that's the elephant in the room and also what we want to talk about today with the uh, the sex or sexless lives of the, the super rich. A lot of the relationships on the show have a lot to do with power. These are like uber wealthy people often uh, getting into submissive relationships like Roman and Jerry. What do we make of that? based on your much more firsthand experience with the super wealthy, are they okay? I <laughs> want to tee that up. <laughs> I think that it's it's power, but it's also money and influence, right? The trifecta that all of the Uber elite are going for. And everyone in the show is gunning for one or many of those things. And it uh, doesn't leave a lot of room for sex. It's true. Uh, who's your favorite couple on the show? Well, my, my favorite character is Tom scanned. I just You know, forever Tom in my heart. But I think it's because he reminds me of Mr. Darcy in Pride and Prejudice, same actor, different context. So I'm always waiting for Tom to like infuse a little Darcy brooding into his performance. And that's the antithesis of Tom in some ways. And also, you know, Tom's from Minnesota, like us. What's not to love about Tom? So by virtue of the fact that Tom (laughs) is married to Shiv on the show, my favorite couple is the only married couple on the show. That's funny, because one, I do not consider myself from Minnesota. And two, <laughs> I I think the reason I hate Tom is I'm constantly disappointed that he's not Mr. Darcy. I see Mr. Darcy. I hear this imbecile. He's not an imbecile, though. I think he's actually um cunning and and quietly so. So you asked about my favorite character. Uh, it's Tom and Shiv, and Tom's tracking of Shiv's biological clock and uh, their lack of a sex life is absolutely hilarious
1: (laughs) okay i want to ask you a question about dialogue Soraya, because i am like a person who is very afraid of cringe this show is very very cringy for me and like the one redeeming factor is the dialogue like i can watch it because the dialogue makes me laugh and i find it hilarious and mocking and relentless and there's just so many good zingers so i watch for that And Layla and I thought it would be fun to run some dialogue from the show back at you and get your take. Have you heard this dialogue used out in the real world? So I'm just going to throw some terms at you. We're going to start pretty normal and we're going to get to some of the wilder lines that come up in this show. Are you ready? Yeah. First one,
0: bear hug. Yeah, uh, bear hug is just a metaphor for a hostile takeover. Okay, how about this one? Gorp core. Yeah, so, so Gorpcore is one of my favorite expressions. It basically alludes to like layers and layers of performance wear um, that often people in finance over-index on um, to show off how worldly or outdoorsy they might be when in reality it's just, you know, North North Face on top of Patagonia to make a finance geek look cool.
1: Amazing. That's a
0: very succinct definition.
1: At a certain point, Tom is concerned about Being drawn to the other side. And so he reassures that he is a sturdy birdie. Is that a term you have heard in the business world?
0: That is not a term I have heard in the (laughs) business world.
1: (laughs) I don't even think that's a term I wanna pick up. How about the idea that you're gonna buy in an oven ready UI? Is this that legible to you?
0: That makes sense. Okay, so buy in means um, you're gonna go for it. And an oven ready just means it's beautiful, and it you don't really have to touch it. And UI stands for user interface, so that's probably in reference to that tech company Gojo, which is like a thinly veiled, you know, hybrid of Netflix and Snap that uh, you know the non-News Corp family on Succession is trying to acquire to save itself and its relevance.
1: So good, wow, Soraya, They should have you consulting on these scripts if they don't already. That's my dream. Call me an HBO. <laughs> okay. Have you heard any perhaps unintentionally hilarious corporate speak or slogans such as the one that they come
0: up with in this season, which is we get it? Do you think that we get it would actually be used as a crisis comms campaign? I think that's the part that takes it into satire. I could see we get it as a campaign slogan. For sure, we get it is like a classic sort of corp dork lingo. Uh, we get it is, is sort of a way of being like, we're with you. like. We're in on the joke, uh, but we get it as probably like a way of of signaling that they're not left out in the dark. I do feel as though a lot of the catchphrases on Succession are completely made up and that's because it's more fun if it's folly, right? The kind of stuff that I hear day to day, which is so generic and cliche, hasn't yet made its way onto the show. Uh-huh, sure, yeah, it's sort of my, my favorite. Uh, and then in <laughs> the tech world, you hear just like a whole Different slew of, you know, ridiculous jargon.
1: Uh, okay, last one. Sorry, this is important. Do people really call private jets PJs?
0: They do. Yes. So in Silicon Valley, you hear that thrown around a ton, like a lot, and it's obnoxious. You also hear a lot of people say Blade these days, which you know, Blade is the startup, the Uber for helis, and they've now made their way into, I think, small jets. So um, it's really typical to hear someone say they're going to take a bladé down to Miami for the weekend. That's funny because I I feel like people started saying target to make fun of the fact that Target isn't fancy, but but making a private helicopter even more pretentious. This is coming so from the woman who said she's not from Minnesota. So that's your first Minnesota <laughs> reference. Our first
1: sister zing of the day, but potentially not the last
0: i'm not ashamed of target or minnesota i'm just saying you know i moved there when i was 17 i can't own it i didn't stick out as many winters as you did you're sturdier a sturdy birdie yeah i have the blood cells and the broken capsules to account for my time and it's sort of like you know my war wounds let's go back to everyone's favorite minnesotan tom wombs guns uh <laughs> so sexy so dreamy Maybe we, we <laughs> as an actor, as an actor, but uh, there's there's some very unsexy activity and husband wife conversation in this in this episode. So we're talking about the shareholder episode, and there's a moment where you know Shiv is running around trying to save the day, training board seats for power. She's the billionaire heiress to a mega company, maybe the most powerful person, definitely more powerful in her career than her husband, but. We discover, because he blurts it out, that he's been tracking her ovulation cycles, that he's counting how many are left till he goes to prison, because maybe he wants he wants to impregnate her, uh, even though she said she doesn't want kids. Uh, and, and he uses some pretty um, disgusting language at one point about not wanting to have sex if she's still on contraception, because it's just throwing cake batter at a wall. What do we make of this whole husband-wife relationship and uh, coercion? Oh, my God. I feel like what an episode I'd love to see is a spinoff where Tom and Shiv go to Esther Perel for marriage counseling and advice. What I will say is that this marriage and what it represents is really indicative of a lot of trends that I find super fascinating. And it's the only time on television I think I've actually witnessed some of this stuff play out um, in fantasy land. And so, when I look at their relationship, the first thing that comes to mind is the fact that Shiva's even in the conversation. I'll throw out some sort of wonky data if it's interesting, but there's this thing that we call the great wealth transfer in in my line of work, and um, you know, depending on how you slice or dice it, there's somewhere between 30 and 65 trillion dollars that are shifting hands between our parents' generation, the boomers, and and young young people. And for the first time in history, some of that wealth, a lot of it actually is transferring into women's hands, right? So Shiv is sort of representative of that, the fact that, you know, she's in the conversation, she's in the room, right? She has a voice. And Tom is in the room also, but by proxy, because he's Shiv's plus one. So... I think it's super fascinating that a lot of the power dynamics play into the fact that she is more powerful and she holds more of the cards and she can hold things over her his head and they never talk about it. It's Sort of like the elephant in the room that sucks out all of the air of the room at the same time to mix metaphors. And then I find it really interesting that Shiv is gunning for that position at the top. So like a trend that I find also very fascinating is that women are 51% of the workforce now. Um, COVID wiped a lot of us out, but. By and large, we're still there. And then two thirds of college campuses, private campuses are made up of women now. So we won't see this play out for another decade, but the glass ceiling is just starting to shatter. We're still a few years away from it actually shattering. And you see some of this play out on the show too in the marriage of Tom and Shiv, because everyone is sort of awkwardly dancing around who could possibly land on top. And they're always sort of befuddled at the fact that it might possibly be Shiv. Um, but the only one who doesn't seem confused by that is Shiv herself. And so, as it pertains to the conversation around her fertility, it's also playing into all these trends that I find super interesting, which is more your line of work, Laurie and Layla, like repro health. But you know that women are delaying parenting or choosing not to have children at all. Again, kind of like for the first time in history, and. We're watching that play out on the show also. Like Shiv wants to be in control of her destiny. She wants to be in control of her position within the company. And part of that means being in control of her biological clock. And Tom, Tom from Minnesota, <laughs> you know, I love imagining Tom's backstory. I, I totally imagine him being raised by a kindergarten teacher who, who was then a stay-at-home mom. Tom is just not really accepting of the fact that that could even be a conversation they might have. Right, because it's 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 not the world in which he came from.
1: I think that's spot on and you know, Soraya, you said it, but being in control of your destiny and of your body means so much not only about your working life, but about your life more broadly. And in this scene, we we kind of see some what professionals in our field call reproductive coercion, right? We see Shiv basically express that, you know, she is not ready. And we see Tom kind of push back on that and imply that he's been doing some secretive plotting that was outside of her knowledge, um, which is really alarming. And, you know, I I can imagine that Basically, any woman with any less wealth or status than Shiv um, being really negatively impacted by a marriage dynamic like that. And I'm curious how you experienced this scene as yourself, a new mom and also, you know, a powerful CEO and founder. Um, You know, did it bring up? Other systemic issues for you, either across the board in tech or in business generally, about um, the kinds of obstacles that you know moms face, whether or women face, whether they decide to become moms or not.
0: Oh Wow, those those are a lot of really interesting questions in one. Um, but I, I, reproductive coercion, is an interesting term for me to learn. And 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 from a tech perspective, I also found it sort of amusing that Tom was like, "Oh no, no, I wasn't using an app or anything. I just tracked it in my iCal. It's not that hard." I think that it's indicative of so many trends, right? First of all, it's just kind of what I was chatting about before, like the fact that we're having a conversation to begin with. Historically, you know, women were unpaid domestic laborers, right? Especially post World War II, and men were the breadwinners. And then somewhere around the 80s, we were um slight majority in college, right? Something like 52 or 53%, I don't remember. The New York Times covered it well last weekend. Uh, in the op-ed section. And and yet we weren't earning um, as much as men, and still don't. 70 cents to the dollar for the longest time, and it's only gone up marginally. And so women women still didn't have power, even though we were technically in the workforce. And then all of a sudden, now we're in the workforce and we're gaining leverage. And I think this plays out really beautifully on the show, because simultaneously, cultural norms haven't has really caught up to the data. So we're still sort of expected to be the primary care providers at home or to have active conversations with our partners, as Sheryl Sandberg put it, um, to really be partners. And I don't know a household in America. Mine comes close, actually. But I don't know a household in America that is a truly 50-50 split when it comes to you know child rearing and caretaking. And when you think about the things that are more classically defined as being feminine in culture, like cooking and cleaning still women are, are shouldering that and so we're expected to have it all we're expected to be you know powerful in our careers and currently breadwinners but at the same time not pull back the slack at home what everyone now comes to think of as you well know is the mental load and project managing at home just to get the home tasks done i think this sort of plays into the show a little bit but we're not really seeing it play into the show because Shiv's uber wealthy, so we just assume she's outsourcing everything. The only way we see it fall into the show is when she is all of a sudden confronted with a choice that seems logical for any woman in her, she seems like she's in her 30s, to be making. It hasn't even crossed her mind, right? She's completely and almost blissfully unaware that now that she's married Tom, he might have the expectation that they should bring powerful little heirs and heiresses into the room. And the fact that she's blindsided by this, but he thinks it's absolutely to be expected. It's sort of like this perfect storm of tension. And you can only really kind of acknowledge it and uh, relate to it if you yourself are in one of these powerful dynamics at home. Did having your own kid really drive any of this home? This is something you've been aware of for a long time, and you've been an advocate for women in the workplace for a long time. But I have to imagine that in like the all-male world that you are constantly in, that even just having a kid must have opened exposed you to even more. Well, I, I started fundraising for our new fund while pregnant and was having mixed results at the start of 2020 when we were kicking off that fundraise. And then COVID happened and everyone said, oh, wasn't COVID a, a real bummer for you? You were pregnant and you were fundraising. And I said, no, actually, I, I COVID was terrible for the world. And I don't want to downgrade that. But actually, as a pregnant woman, it was kind of bliss. Because um, people only see you from the neck up when you're fundraising. And so all of those unconscious biases are in some ways thrown out the window. And then, you know, I allowed, it allowed me to have a very comfortable pregnancy and mat leave. And people weren't really looking at the clock to think, you know, when is she coming back? Because nobody really knew when they were going back. So it was it was sort of like going incognito uh, in 2020 while pregnant with our daughter. Is this uh, woke billionaire son a, a type that you come across in real life? I think every character in the show is a hyper exaggerated amalgamation of a bunch of people the screenwriters have met and encountered. But yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, Kendall is somebody that I've come across without sounding salacious or opaque. The most liberal and sort of publicly out there rah-rah feminist tech founder I know behind the scenes was among the most egregious when it came to how he objectified and used women. And I think that the show does a good job of kind of lifting the veil to that hypocrisy. You become so normalized and so desensitized to it when you are the anomaly, when you're one of the only women in the room, and you think, oh gosh, I'm, I'm one of the only women here, so I have to be able to stay here. I need to shut my mouth and just kind of observe this. and not be so traumatized by it because it allows me to be one of the guys. And then a decade later, you're older, you're wiser, you look back on those experiences and you're like, oh my God, that just wasn't right. And so a lot of what Kendall evokes for me are, are these sort of PTSD moments, <laughs> uh, thinking back to things I overheard or witnessed that were just so unsettling and so absolutely unbalanced. And the thing is, I don't think Kendall would recognize that he himself is a hypocrite. I think in the moment, he really does think that, you know, he's the woke liberal son of a rich megalomaniac, you know, right-wing fascist supporter. But his day-to-day actions don't do anything to lift up people that would actually be able to better serve the company. Because for every character on the show, I think greed is the number one motivation. Super
1: well said. And One of my uh, kind of favorite little cameos in this season is Sanaa Lathan, who I've loved since the Love and Basketball days, um, playing Candle Roy's lawyer. And his treatment of her, I think, is a really great example of what you're talking about, where he probably, you know, fashions himself, this uh, woke guy who is surrounded by working women and he's hired the best lawyer, but whether it's explicit or not, her Black womanhood is part of the reason that he um, does not hesitate to fire her as soon as she expresses a true and and pretty obvious opinion about how he's sabotaging his own case. So um, ultimately, she's just another disposable professional woman in his life.
0: His well, reference to her being toxic was pretty telling. By the way, can we have another episode about love and basketball and relationship goals? I know. I was just going to say, you've you've tapped into the early days of the Darby sisters binging.
1: (laughs) I mean, that movie is my sexuality. Let's discuss. (laughs) 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 But Soraya, one area, just as a kind of tech outsider, one area where it seems like there is maybe a natural feminist pocket is in femtech. And it just seems like there are really cool innovations happening that could be beneficial for women identified folks um, coming out of like that part of the tech community and, you know, as an investor who gets to hear about all the exciting new tech first, I'm just curious if there are any kind of exciting or cool new trends coming out of tech generally or from tech specifically that our listeners may be interested in. Basically, we want all your vibrator recommendations.
0: This woman, Ava, has a really cool company called Maud, and I, I love Ava and what she's doing. I'm not a huge fan of the phrase femtech for the exact reasons you just mentioned, because it, it doesn't kind of encompass all genders or all self-identifying persons, but then what does, right? So I think a lot of people also feel like femtech put the category in a bit of a niche mindset, whereas the vertical of women x health globally is such a multi-trillion dollar opportunity, it's, it's too big to even fathom. So at, at our firm, TMV, we, we were early backers of Kind Body um, by Gina Bartosi, who's a legend. And she was uh, one of the earliest CEOs of Progeny, which uh, I'm also a shareholder of uh, in the public markets. And basically what Gina saw really early and has replicated now twice in her career is that as women become more powerful in the workforce, we are delaying but not stopping our desire to have children. And this has major economic consequences for the world. And it's also a huge benefit to companies to embrace the fact that women do want to ultimately get pregnant on their own time, if they so choose to get pregnant at all. So Kind Body is pretty cool. And we're, we're lucky to support them because it's basically making it more affordable and more accessible and just easier on the body to have children on your own time. And they focus on women, right? Because we're, we're the ones that typically carry the children. In the sexual health space, um, we're seeing a lot of pitches for companies that um, are focused on destigmatizing erotica for women. I, we haven't made any investments in that space. It's a cool trend to observe. I think a lot of the trends that we're seeing are just women in positions of power presenting tech or tech adjacent businesses that are deserving of venture financing. In floods and floods and floods, like it's, there's absolutely not a pipeline problem for female founders. They exist, they're everywhere, they're worthy of backing and we're lucky that close to 70% of our portfolios is, is helmed by a woman at TMV. That's amazing. Love it. One of the reasons I was excited to talk to you, Sauce, is that there's so many evil sibling dynamics, but none of them that I can relate to. Unless you can, <laughs> and this is where we're gonna hash it out. <laughs> yeah, this is where it all comes out. But my my favorite is <laughs> when... Uh, Kendall realizes that Shib's on a conference call with him and he was like, oh, nice hit piece. Like maybe we don't come back from that. But what's amazing is they always come back from it. No, it's very realistic. First of all, the best jokes are conference call jokes. I think that's hugely realistic, right? When you think about the people in the world um, that you feel closest to, aren't they the ones that you can scream at and then 30 seconds later sort of rebound as if nothing happened? Because there's that inherent trust that at the end of the day, you're still blood or still best friends. So I, I I really appreciate the subtlety of the show in that respect. That they actually could come back from that pretty quickly. Actually, that's a good point. When we were in our twenties and living together, I w- we'd have very polarized reactions if I told people, "Oh, yeah, I live with my sister." Either people say, "That's amazing," or I could never do that. And I always would say, "Yeah, but if your sister eats the thing you were saving in the fridge, you just yell at her. You don't bottle it up, you know, and then you're fine. Or if your sister buys groceries, you just eat them because they're both of yours. There's none of you don't label anything. Or, Not- I don't know why all my if examples your sister are fridges. Is in- a punk rock band playing the drums, and she expects you to come to her shows two nights a week. (laughs) Uh, That scenario. (laughs) And then you don't. And then she's passive aggressive (laughs) about the fact that you didn't come. Hypothetically, you could come back from that pretty fast. Yeah. Hypothetically.
1: I've been thinking about a lot while I watch Succession is, you know, what is the overall point that we're meant to take away about you know, capitalism and about people who are seeking that trifecta that you mentioned, Soraya, that money power influence, because like ultimately to me, these people seem deeply unhappy, right? Like we're watching with a little bit of getting a confidence boost about our own moral (laughs) uh, trappings, like I'm watching these people just self-destruct and, you know, have like gorgeous homes and huge, rich plates of food sitting around that they like never touch and just empty, hollow marriages and like bad sex and just like having their families fall apart. And I can't help but compare that to like the other mostly white cast show that i watch that's all about wealthy people which is billions and at least they seem to be like enjoying it a little bit more in that show and like enjoying their wealth and they they kind of glamorize wealth a little bit more there but the overall impression for me of this show is that like money makes you unhappy
0: that's interesting that's your takeaway because yeah. i don't i mean if you look at the pierce family they're as wealthy as the roys and they seem pretty adjusted, pretty normal. Not Naomi, poor Naomi. She's sympathetic as the character. But I mean, the Pierce family, they seem to have values and they kind of eschew all the dirtiness of the Roy's. And I think in, in the Billions show, which I don't watch, I don't binge that, they're probably happier because it's hedge fund money. So it's it's Nouveau riche and and they're all evading taxes and they're living by their own rules because the government hasn't caught up to them really. That's probably the point of the show. Whereas the Roy family, they're stuck in a legacy business that's not innovating and they're all really scared mm. of everything evaporating. Um mm. so they're just kind of cranky. I think of the I think of the Roy's as being yeah. just super cranky and and hyper paranoid and particularly well, lacking therapy. Yeah.
1: They are they are really lacking therapy. That's
0: true. So so yeah, but the, I think the inconvenient in truth. The one thing I want to get across is like the inconvenient in truth about um, the one percent is that there isn't a one size fits all. Some of the happiest people I know are benevolent billionaires. Some of the least happy people I know are forwardly facing. You know the most successful people you've ever heard of, and it's interesting to be in an industry where I'm constantly in conversation and appear and I've become desensitized to it in the sense that in many ways it's no longer an us versus them because Layla and I grew up in in a middle class household like so many Americans right and so for a while uh, in the beginning of the start of my career I, I felt like I needed to fear or revere and I don't now now it's just like an everyday normal the show, sensationalizes wealth because it's fun to watch. I think one of the most sort of telling lines on Succession this season is when Shiv said to her subordinate at the company, who on paper would be her equal, her peer, the guy that's running content for the news division, she said, don't you get it? We don't get embarrassed, right? Like at the end of the day, the the most realistic thing that Succession portrays of the 1% or the uber wealthy is that they certainly feel like they are above it all. It is ingrained Mm -hmm. in them. It is taught to them. It is something that doesn't embarrass them. It doesn't make them feel um, more or less than. It simply is the truth Mm -hmm. in their minds. And I I think the show does a pretty good and balanced job of representing that. But at the same time, they could be happy, sad, at the end of the day, they're just people. It's not very joyful, their their wealth that they're tossing around. Like even when I don't know if you guys watched last uh, Sunday's episode. But like even when there's a party, it's a dark and depressing party. When I tune into a show that's about like the uber wealthy, like I expect more sex, mo- more literal sex, but then just more sexiness. It doesn't it doesn't make their lives feel very exciting. Well,
1: I think it's a good distinction, right? Is the point that money makes you unhappy or is the point that money can't fix unhappiness? The Mm -hmm. latter. Yeah, and maybe a little bit is also that the show's brilliance might lie in actually being able to have audience members kind of project what they want to see. Like all of our relationship to the uber wealthy is very dependent on our own status, right? Like I can imagine, like you just shared, Soraya, just a little bit of your own, you know, background. And I think I can imagine that, you know, watching succession as a destitute person would leave a different impression than watching it as you know, like a comfortably middle class or upper class person. And for me, that's why I really focus on the characters and the dialogue and trying to get joy out of that. Because the truth of the matter is that I find the overall like, structural dynamics, a borderline triggering as someone who you know, grew up in poverty,
0: basically. I can appreciate that. I can appreciate that it, that it is triggering, and I think that if I watched the show a decade ago, it would have been triggering for me too. So, I just I just wanted to acknowledge okay. that. Yeah. they're they're so cavalier about wealth on all of these shows, Succession, Yellowstone, Billions, but the world is perversely fascinated with the wealthy. I am legitimately curious, Lori, if there are like certain characters that you watch for, because to your point, it's triggering and it's obnoxious, but I find myself personally like almost rooting for characters, even though they're all, because you have only despicable choices. So like basically you can either go for comedy or I I guess the woman. (laughs) I'm constantly waffling between like, the people with the best lines, or just Shiv because she's the girl, <laughs> right? You won't be surprised.
1: I mean, my answer is like class solidarity. Before everything's, so I'm a cousin <laughs> Greg girl all the way, and you know his like cousin don't Greg, be awkwardness.
0: Two hundred fifty million dollar inheritance. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly, I, that's how much I'm like in this show. I'm like, oh, he's the poor one of all of this, and. Like, even in his quest to sue Greenpeace, I'm like, <laughs> I, I hilariously, I, I just can't stop following along. Um, but his awkward dopiness in the face of wealth, I actually think it's, he's just such a good actor. Um, I guess the actor's name is Nicholas Braun. And I think he just nails the, the weird dynamics that go on when you introduce someone who is just an outsider, and kind of dangle some things in front of him powerfully. And I I just really appreciate like the dynamics that they build in. And then of course, like his relationship to Tom and oh my god, the castrate and Mary comment. Well, that scene just made me kind of like shiver, but also laugh.
0: Which character is the most nauseating for you? Ooh, this is for me
1: as well. I mean, Logan Roy is horrific. And like, I think he like literally is using like racist language in the last episode. Like I, I I actually didn't know you could say that on HBO. And so I think, you know, his like manipulation and abuse and, and all of that.
0: I, I didn't successfully do it, but I wanted to work in that Stewie is Iranian in real life. And I just read his backstory on the show, but he's never gonna acknowledge it. <laughs> Stewie's last name on the show is Hosseini. What? And Stewie in real life is played by this Iranian American actor. He looks Iranian. But it's just funny to me that that's also the backstory on the show. I've never met a Persian guy named Stewie. Well, also because your par- our parents can't say Estuie. Per- Persians can't pronounce ST. So that's what makes it hilarious to me. <laughs> There's one couple that we haven't talked
1: about. I want both of your takes on Roman and Jerry.
0: I mean, uh, star-crossed lovers. That, those are the first words that come to mind no i mean i think it's like a, what what, like a classic Electra complex he he doesn't do much to evade jokes that i'm sorry i have too much baby going on Layla, you you take that one i love what they were doing with it at first um i feel like um uh, now I, it just reads as harassment on roman's part i thought it was more interesting when she was more receptive to his advances and now she just sort of quietly tolerates it. So it just makes me sad that this woman who's become CEO is is just constantly harassed by her protege. That's a really interesting read. In the beginning, when she was sort of feeding into it in the first season, it was very surprising. And now it's sort of faded into the wallpaper. She probably just sees Roman as like a fly she needs to swat. Switching topics completely,
1: but I have to say this before we go to our cringe fires, Soraya. I was today years old when I learned that UTIs can give you delirium.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, specifically in geriatric care, right? I had no idea. I actually think that that's one of those ripped from the headline plots. There is somebody, there is is some wealthy business person. Somebody famous claimed a UTI for making a crazy decision. And apparently... The old wives' tale that cranberry juice will solve all UTI remedies is completely false. So it's like, what can we believe anymore? (laughs) That's a whole other uh, reproductive health conversation, but I feel lied to. I I totally believe in cranberry juice.
1: Wander Women is a radically different travel guide for the curious traveler. They feature the diversity of travel experiences that Black women and femmes of color have around the world, lifting up local stories, the culture, and small businesses. If you're looking for real talk travel and safety info, along with cultural ramblings, visit wanderwomantravels.com. That's
0: wanderwomantravels.com with an X in women. And check out the Holiday Bazaar featuring goods from international artisans in Kashmir, Costa Rica, Mexico, and the United States. You'll get 25% off the Holiday Bazaar by using the code FRIENDS, in all caps.
1: This has just been amazing. I think we covered a lot of succession ground.
0: Soraya, are you ready for our Cringe Fire round? Let's do it. Okay. What else are you binging? I am binging Succession Light, which is also known as Yellowstone, starring Kevin Costner, everyone's favorite faux dad, and the redhead from La Borge Espanol.
1: Ooh, you had me at Kevin Costner, love it. And Soraya, what is something that you find super cringy at the moment?
0: At the moment, I find thinly veiled takedowns of female founders in the press. To be really cringy. It seems like for decades we told men and women that they were equals in the workforce when they were not. And then we taught women that in order to succeed in the workforce, we had to buck up and act like men. And then women, women do take on kind of a masculine persona at work or, you know, get borderline aggressive for things that, you know, wouldn't cause another gender any repercussions. They're not only shamed for it, they are dethroned for it and I think dethroning of people who are bad actors is absolutely necessary but if we're going to do it let's hold everybody accountable in with equal standard now I want you to tell us offline what thinly veiled takedowns we should be reading (laughs) is there an aspect or of sex or sexuality that you think uh should be more portrayed or better portrayed in media I was at the gym yesterday and I I saw an Ed Sheeran music video for like the third time in my life and it was really funny. The whole music video was him looking at three dots on his phone, waiting for presumably this girl that he has a crush on to text him back. I feel like TV never really spends the right amount of time talking about things that are so commonplace in modern love, like ghosting, like prolonged text backs. Like sometimes it's covered, but it's it's sort of an offhanded joke. When anyone you know, all my single friends basically say that's all dating is now, swiping and the three dots and ghosting. So um, I feel like pop culture could get into the nuance a little bit more around modern love relationship dynamics.
1: Hell yeah. Thank you for that. All right. Last Cringe Fire. Do you have a favorite scene depicting sex or sexuality? And it can be across any medium, TV, film or literature.
0: I think the first sex scene I ever sort of understood in my head was Hugh Grant getting out of bed in four weddings and a funeral with his adorably disheveled hair. I mean, I don't even know what's sexy anymore. Normal People was fantastic as a miniseries. I thought they did a really good job and a pretty realistic job of portraying relationships and all of that weird tension of things that aren't said. Love it.
1: Awesome. Soraya, you've officially cringe-watched with us. How does it feel? I'd say welcome to the family, but it feels you know. really
0: validating. It feels like um, I just ran a marathon. No. <laughs> I'm so happy to be on the show with both of you. And to know that I can binge watch and cringe watch with the two of you anytime just you know makes me very happy.
1: That's so sweet. And we do appreciate that you were such an early cheerleader and supporter. And
0: oh, I am a Patreon it. subscriber. <laughs> I drink my coffee with my cringe watching mug every day. Uh. <laughs> It's gotten so much love that actually some of the yellow has peeled off of the mug. And that's sort of a a badge of honor for me.
1: Yeah. Gives it makes the coffee taste better.
0: Thank you to our guest, Saraya Darby. Our editor is Karen Y. Chan. Judith Walker created our logos and cover art. DL Dallas Angram created our theme song. And our ad music is by Siddhartha Corses. You can find both of those artists on SoundCloud. That's right. And we want to give a special shout out this week
1: to our newest patron, Kyle Garcia. Thank you so much for supporting our show. And a reminder to everyone that you can visit patreon.com backslash to get cool perks, including a shout out on the show, early access to episodes and more. You can also show your love by rating and reviewing us and follow us at cringewatchers on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you, as always, for cringe watching with us.